Well, <clears throat> excuse me, good morning again. We have been for several weeks now in a sermon series uh, entitled Life in the Body, and we're looking together at scripture passages that tell us what it is like uh, as Christians uh, living in the body of Christ, those who have been gathered together uh, in Christ, um, who is the head of the church. Uh, I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at a passage there this morning, uh, uh, looking somewhat at the expansive nature uh, of the body of Christ, uh, the largeness um, uh, of Christ's body. Uh, and, we're going, and we're going to do this by looking um, at this through a local church and what uh, Paul uh, says with regard to a local church that certainly is applicable uh, to the universal church uh, as well. Little theologians, um, I'd like for you to think about and perhaps uh, draw a picture of a church. Uh, usually when we think of church, we think of a church a building. Uh, so I want you to draw a large church building. You may think of our a facility here. You may think of a, another church building that you're familiar with. But as you're drawing this large church, I want you to think of an even larger church, a church that cannot even be contained on the paper on which you're drawing or the, or the surface that you may be using to draw. A large, large church that's beyond that which you can even put on a piece of paper. Well, the Bible clearly teaches that there is only one church. We confess that almost every Sunday morning, that there is one church that has been brought into existence by God and belongs to God. But the Bible also makes it clear that the church may be seen in two aspects, as invisible and visible. When we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we immediately become members of the invisible church, this large, vast, unnumbered company uh, of the redeemed uh, throughout time and space. But as believers living here and now, we must identify ourselves with his people here on earth, and we do so by uniting with a congregation of believers by making public profession of faith. I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I've yielded to his crown rights in my life. And we, if we haven't been previously baptized and we are initiated into the church through that sacrament as part of this visible confession of personal trust in Christ. And we speak of that as joining the visible church, the church that is seen, the church that we attend in normal circumstances, and Lord willing, uh, we'll be uh, attending again soon. That place where we gather and commit our lives uh, to one another and, and do life together uh, in Christ. Uh, the church, as invisible, this vast 
known, this vast number that only God knows. Uh, uh, it is comprised of all the elect, all those that God has called to himself from all ages, from beginning to the end. Uh, the church as visible, on the other hand, consists of those who profess the true faith in this world together with their, their children, uh, we believe. So each church, each church in a local congregation uh, should be fulfilling this task that God has for it of being a small, um, uh, a small uh, uh, scale representative, uh, a microcosm, if you will, of the church as a whole, as the universal church. So, and, and so Paul can use and interchange this language of one church universal, which is the body of Christ, all believers in all ages, and he can also identify the local congregation as the body of Christ. And again, this is something that we confess. Uh, I believe in one holy Catholic church, universal church. So with that a little bit in mind, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, this is God's word. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Just as, just, uh, just as a note of, of, of context here in 1 Corinthians, it's, it's fascinating to me that in a letter where, where Paul is going to be quite candid to this local church and uh, 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 be right up front with them toe-to-toe uh, -to -toe, um, uh, verbally, that he begins with this kind of thanksgiving to God for what God has given them. And in these first nine verses, we see three great shining principles that he wanted those Corinthian believers, as well as us, those who also comprise the body of Christ. He wanted those and us to hear and to lay hold of and have encourage us and they should encourage us all. And this is that 
number one, first, that God has called you. Uh, We read this several times in just these few verses. Um, If you were a believer in Jesus Christ, God has called you to the church of God in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called, together with all those called. Uh, Verse 9, God who has called you uh, is faithful. So the first point here that, that Paul wants the church in Corinth, the church in Chattanooga, the church around the world, the church universal to know is that God has called you. Now you say that's elementary. Well, is it really? Uh, how often are you and I nervous in Christ's service Uh, Because we somehow feel that we are uh, interlopers. Uh, We uh, uh, feel somewhat out of place, uh, somewhere where we may not really belong. And the Christian, the Christian is never to feel that way. The Christian is to recognize that we are in Christ, that we are in him. Not because we've crashed the party. Uh, We are in Christ because of the call of a sovereign God. Uh, One of the differences, one of the big differences, uh, I think for me at least, between uh, adolescence and adulthood uh, is that when I was younger, particularly uh, in college, I had a little group of friends, and we liked to crash parties. We like to go to those places uh, most often as a college student where there was food and drink and we could, we could uh, uh, help ourselves uh, there. Um, but now as an adult, uh, uh, there's nothing I dislike more than feeling that I'm somewhere where I'm not wanted, where I don't belong, where I haven't been invited or welcomed. Uh, I'm relatively comfortable up here speaking to you. I say relatively. Uh, it's it's a, a daunting task to speak publicly, number one. Excuse me. Uh, to speak into a camera box is especially uh, daunting as well. But I'm relatively comfortable speaking uh, this morning uh, because you have called me. You have called me as a pastor 20 years ago, um, uh, maybe in, a, in, a, in a, a weak moment for the congregation. They said, to, uh, Eric, come and do ministry with us. We want you here. We want you a part of us. Uh, come, uh, come up to Chattanooga. And, and so you, you invited me. You called me. And we've been here these, uh, these 20 years and we're, we're comfortable here. We feel welcomed here. Uh, this is our place. This is the place where God has placed us uh, uh, through uh, the instrument uh, uh, of your call. But I would be extremely uncomfortable if I were to go down here this morning to our friends at Concord Baptist Church and and after some preliminary uh, uh, things, uh, uh, music and perhaps a pastoral prayer, I were to walk into their pulpit and say, good morning, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because 
I haven't been called there. I haven't been invited, particularly uh, in, in that role. Um, but Paul, I would feel like a, uh, an interloper, an intruder in that sense. But Paul is careful and wants to place in the minds of all those in Christ, all believers in Corinth and believers everywhere, that no matter how hard he, Paul, is candid with his counsel uh, to them in his letters um, uh, uh, to the church. Um, Paul says, I want you to understand that you are who you are because God has called you. God has graciously, powerfully, savingly summoned you to himself to be his own. Perhaps I can sharpen that uh, point a, a little bit. Um, um, just outside of Philadelphia, there is a large theater called the Valley Forge Music Fair. It's only a few miles from my wife Boo's childhood home. And this was the, 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 the big theater in Philadelphia that all the big acts came to. If you were a, 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 a significant act of maybe touring the country or international act or whatever, you had to play the Valley Forge Music Fair. It was several thousand people there. And uh, so one night, the most popular entertainer in the country, and it would be hard to uh, sort of uh, exaggerate uh, how popular he was. Uh, he had the leading television show, he was an actor, he was received as an educator, and um, he was in town and he was going to do a series uh, of uh, shows and monologues. His name was Bill Cosby. Now, Bill Cosby has not only been accused, but he has been uh, sentenced, he's been convicted, sentenced, and now is imprisoned. But then he was the biggest name in show business, and he was playing the Valley Forge Music Fair. And uh, a mutual friend of, of Boo and, and mine, uh, uh, a girl named Carolyn, who worked, I think, part-time there uh, at, the, at the venue, uh, thought she'd go out uh, and see the show. Well, the show had been uh, sold out for weeks, and so she got there late. Uh, she talked to some of the uh, friends she knew there in the will call uh, ticket box. Uh, uh, Carolyn's sort of cute and flirty, uh, so she said, I bet there's some no-shows. I bet there's a ticket. I can slip in there and uh, just... Uh, Give me a ticket, and I'll take a spot. If somebody comes, I'll slip right out. Well, she convinced those guys uh, that, sure, sure enough, there was a block of seats, uh, some 12, dozen, a dozen seats in the very front row. And she said, they haven't showed up. Uh, the opening act has finished. Uh, Cosby's just about to come on stage. And so uh, she goes into the venue, rushes down to the front, takes her seat, right under the stage, just as the spotlight goes on, uh, the performer, he comes out, microphone, uh, he has a stool, and just as he begins uh, um, 
to speak. Uh, a crowd of about 12 noisy people uh, come down to the front looking for their seats. And Cosby is seeing this right in front of the stage, just a few feet from the stage. And uh, so Carolyn uh, is sort of terrified by this. She, she wants to sneak out. Uh, but uh, these people come in, and Cosby said, wait a minute, what are you doing? And, and Carolyn's thinking, he can't be talking to me. I'm just going to keep going. But he says, wait a minute, uh, I haven't been out here long enough to be bad. You can't leave yet. And he told the stage technicians to show the spotlight on her. So the spotlight comes on our friend Carolyn right in front of Cosby on the stage there. And he says, uh, what's the problem? Why are you leaving? It's, it's bad enough that these, these turkeys have interrupted my monologue. Oh, what, what, are, what are you leaving for? And, and Carolyn says, well, uh, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't be here. I don't have a ticket. And he says, you mean you don't have a seat? And she says, yes, yes, yes. Says, come, come up here. And so the entertainer, the star of the show, if you will, summons her up, puts her on the stool beside him, and for 90 minutes does, does his monologue or does his show. Uh, so Carolyn got to see uh, uh, Bill Cosby that night, perhaps uh, not in a way uh, that she wanted to see him, but uh, in a way that she might could tell a, an interesting story to her children and her grandchildren. But as exciting as that call that summons may be. Um, if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, a call from a prince or a performer or a president pales in comparison, pales in insignificance. Um, you and I need to understand that, that the living God who summoned worlds into being by his voice, by his command, has called us by name, has said, stretched out his arms to us, and lovingly embraced us and brought him to himself uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, whatever I say in this letter, I want you to remember that you are called of God. But there's more to the call than just that. He tells us in verse 2 that not only are we called, he tells us something of the nature of this call, why we are called. He says two things here. First, he has called you to be like God. Look at verse 2. To the church of Corinth, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints. Sanctified means being set apart, distinguished, consecrated to God and for God. In the Old Covenant, the priests were set apart, all the instruments and the utensils of service uh, to be used in worship were to be set apart, and it's called sanctification. Here he says, you who are the people of God, you who are members of this vast bride and body of Christ have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. You've been set apart for God's use. Well, what use? You've been set apart to be saints, literally to be holy ones. 
coming, uh, uh, coming from uh, the Greek word that basically means to separate, to consecrate, uh, to divide, to distinguish. We're to be like God. The holiness of God, I believe, is the preeminent attribute. If we can speak in those ways, it is really the excellence of all his other perfections. It is what sets the creator apart from his creatures as being utterly distinct and different. He is God, the thrice holy God, entirely distinct, separate from every other created thing. How can you and I be holy? Well, our holiness comes in that in part of his saving work on our behalf, God not only has done something for us in forgiving us of our sins and crediting Christ's righteousness to us, but he has done something in us. He has made us new creations, new creatures in Christ. He's breathed his regenerating life into us. He's given us his spirit, which is holy. And you and I are now increasingly to grow into the holiness, to be a holy people, a consecrated people, a people set apart, to be like God. Pastor Jones spoke a little bit of this last week uh, 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 when he spoke on on separation. Um, He gave us information about Corinth. Uh, The people in Corinth uh, lived in the midst, uh, the, the church there lived in the midst of a wicked city, a pagan city with pagan temples and pagan worshipers who proclaimed the character of their pagan gods with with acts of uh, of immorality and and Paul is saying in the midst of that city in the midst of those places where he has planted his church his body throughout this world he says that we are to be God's alternatives we are to show our cities our communities our neighborhoods what it means to be a child of the living God. We are to show them something of what God is like as we would live consecrated lives before them. And so his word comes to you and to me and calls us to be a people set apart, distinguished, peculiar, (laughs) as Peter says, uh, from others, uh, a people who are holy and growing in holiness and seeking before others to show what it means to be a child of God. But there's a second aspect of this call. He's not only called us believers, those that are in Christ, to be like God, but he's called us to be with God. That's the second half of verse 2. And this is part of this universality, uh, the expanse Uh, of the body of Christ, called to be saints together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Corinthians along with all believers together in this expansive body, this expansive company of the redeemed. He's called us to call upon him 
in Scripture, calling upon him is, is seeking his presence, is desiring to be with him in worship, in prayer, in time set apart uh, in his presence. Uh, Jesus says in his high priestly prayer, this is eternal life, that we may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I wonder if that is our desire as members of his body, to be with God. Do we seek him? Do we seek him because we want to get something from him? Uh, that's what we really want, or do we seek him? Is he a means to other ends, or is he the means and the end? Do we approach the Lord merely because we want from him other things? Or do we want to be with him because we would know him in the glory of his person and being in the splendor of all of his works? He has called us that we might call upon him and to know him. The final verse there uh, in verse 9, he has called us into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Dick Halverson was a former Presbyterian minister in Washington, D.C., and, and um, was at one time a, a chaplain of the United States Senate. And he tells about uh, having uh, lunch with one of the uh, leading Washington uh, power brokers, executives there, and um, they had had a, a delightful lunch and uh, talked about uh, families and mutual interests and uh, uh, other things. And as the time was drawing near, this this powerful D.C. Uh, uh, power broker, if you will, finally looked at at uh, uh, Dr. Halverson and, and said, uh, you know, I've enjoyed our company together. This is a lot better than I thought it would be. But I've only got a few minutes left, and uh, I have to go. What is it that you really wanted? And Dr. Halverson said he looked at him and said, you know, this is what I wanted. Yeah, I wanted to spend time with you. I wanted to get to know you. I wanted to learn about you. I wanted to uh, build a, a relationship with you. And uh, Dr. Halverson uh, uh, talks about, uh, with tears welling up in his eyes, this high-profile, powerful washing executive said, I cannot tell you the last time in my life that anyone asked me to a meal just because he wanted to be with me. People always want something from me, and I just assumed you did too. And the person whom God has called is the person who's beginning to understand that one of the reasons that God has called us is that he wants us to know him and to be with him. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. God has called you and I, called you to be like him, and called you to be with him. Now the second great shining principle, I think, in this passage is that is that not only has God called us, but he's gifted us. 
Now, this is remarkable that Paul would, would thank God that he has gifted the Corinthians because later on in this book in chapters 12 through 14, we see that this church is, is, in, is in the throes of, of, of problems concerning gifts. But it's important to see that, God, that Paul does not despise the gifts of God and say the answer is no exercise of the gifts. He realizes that these are treasures from God. And he even says that I rejoice that God has poured out the gifts of his, excuse me, the gifts of his grace upon you. And he begins by thanking God. And uh, it's interesting how he says this in, in, in verse 4. I always thank God for you because of his grace. I, 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 thank, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God given to you. Uh, the word translated grace there is charis. And then in verse 5, that in every way you were enriched. And in verse 7, you were not lacking in any gift. Charisma. So what he's saying, it is that he's thanking God that they're charismatics. And, and brethren, uh, 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 whether you like it or not, let me just say right up front, I thank God that you are a bunch of charismatics. Whether you know it or not, or uh, because biblically speaking, not necessarily in a contemporary understanding, but biblically speaking, every Christian, every member of the body of Christ is charismatic, has those gifts given them by God. And Paul says, I thank God that he has gifted his church, that he has gifted each and every one in Christ according to his grace with whatever you need. He has given us those, those gifts. Um, now we need to pray for the power of the Spirit and the wisdom of the Spirit to use those gifts in a way that will build up and edify and strengthen the body of Christ and bring glory to the Lord. And Paul addresses that later, but, but he's not only called us, but he's gifted us in order that we might serve him. But because this church in Corinth, like every other church, is to be a visible example of the one universal church, but this church was particularly prone to pride and a sense uh, of having arrived, Paul quickly reminds them that they, haven't, that they don't have everything yet because in the latter part of verse 7 he says, as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He's gifted the body of Christ for everything they need for the present, but they are to understand this is not what it's all about. The final crowning splendor will never be realized here. But the militant church uh, of Christ is to be a people using our gifts while eagerly awaiting the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the consummation of all things, uh, joining with the church triumphant. Um, there should be, uh, as members of the body of Christ, there should be with us that, that 
that yearning to be with the Lord and to be with all the saints, a recognition that it, this is not my ultimate destination, but to be in his presence face to face at last with him forever. Uh, that is joy inexpressible and full of glory. And so he describes the people of God as a people wonderfully gifted, but realizing that they exercise their gifts, that as they exercise their gifts, they are eagerly longing, anticipating the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the final thing that he says to us here in verse 8 is that we're not only called by God, we're not only gifted by God, but we are kept by God. He is keeping, he is preserving his people to the very end. We're talking about serious shelf life here. God is at work doing this. It's easy for us to recognize that call and be using our gifts and then just to blow it and to do something that we know is displeasing in the Lord's sight, to recognize that we have uh, perhaps not discovered and developed the gifts that he's given us, the way that he would have us to exercise those gifts, and begin to feel again that perhaps I am an interloper, perhaps I am uh, 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 if the Lord could, uh, um, he would uh, revoke uh, that summons, that call. But Paul reminds us here that we are kept. We're kept to the end by the faithfulness, not of ourselves, but by the faithfulness of God himself. He will sustain you to the end. The NIV reads, he will keep you strong to the end. Now that's not saying that if we're if we're if we're just reckless and sinning all the time and and doing what we want, you can say, "Well, God is faithful." He doesn't say He'll keep you weak to the end, but strong, substantively established to the end. So we're to be walking in His strength, and when we fall. We're to confess that and to renew and restore our fellowship with the Lord. Have him pick us up and fill us and direct us by his spirit again and send us on our way strong, strong to the end, strong in the Lord, resting on his faithfulness because he is able. He is able to present you and I and every one of his people, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Believer in Christ, you'll stand before him in spite of all that you and I may have done or failed to do when he presents us at last in his own glorious presence. It will be in Christ, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. Now, as we begin a new week and a new month, uh, Jeremy noted that uh, today was May the 91st and not the 31st. It just seems like it's been such a long, long month. 
It's a new month. It's a, it's a new day. Uh, today, tomorrow morning, as you arise and get ready for your day, maybe you can spend a little time just marinating in the shower and thinking of these three things. God has called me. Therefore, I am accepted in the beloved. God has gifted me. Therefore, I can face the challenges of this day unafraid because in his wonderfully sovereign, customized way, he will use me for whatever he wants me to do this day. And God will keep me. Keep me strong to the end. I, I feel weak. I feel weary. I feel ready to give up. But God is above all these things, and he will firm me, establish me, and keep me through him firm to the end. God is faithful, and he will do it. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you might seal these truths to our heart. Remind us that you're calling, you're gifting, you're keeping for all your people or without any retraction. You will not take them back. You will save your people. You will stand us in your presence with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So may we live these days in eager anticipation of that great day. And to know what it means to live pleasing lives to you and for you until then. These things we pray in the name of Christ our Redeemer. Amen.